So what I want to do today is different than standard Teisho. More like a mondo. I'd like us to look at uh, the Sandokai, which uh, sameness and differences, which we haven't done for a while. Now we chant, we chant that every Sunday. And we chant for, for different reasons. You know, we chant so we can bring all our voices together and in a way lose ourselves to the one voice. Right? And create a voice that uh, can only be created if we all put our voices into, agree to lose our voices into. So there is that. There's the vocal aspect of it. And there's also the fact that we chant the teachings. So what does it do? How do we understand what we chant? Does it penetrate? Right? That's one of the ideas behind it, that we you repeat something over and over and over and over again, and we stay open to it. Right? Otherwise it becomes repetitive and uh, devoid of any attention. So does it do that? Now we, we looked at the Sandokai a while ago and uh, I'd like to look at it again and then see how do we feel about it now. So the Sandokai, the same differences, uh, was written in China during the 8th century by Shitu. Uh, he's actually in our lineage, you may remember his name from our lineage chant, uh, Sekito Kisen Daiyosho. And it was written, uh, he wrote that uh, in response to a divide in Zen. Uh, there, were, there was more than one school of Zen at that time, and uh, the divide was northern and southern. Um, so the northern school uh, held on to an idea of gradual realization, and the southern school held on to an idea of sudden realization. And um, he wrote that to point at a fundamental reality that does not divide. People divide. We divide. Reality is all-encompassing and undivided. Which is actually very uh, relevant, right? Uh, we, it's one of the more relevant, uh, timeless relevant, right? Especially now, but uh, as human beings, we've always created divisions. We always created, we always um, held on to beliefs, to ideas, uh, fought one another about those ideas. So it's very timely. So it begins with the mind of the great sage of India was intimately conveyed from west to east. While human beings can be wise or foolish, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. Now, the, the mind of the great sage of India. That's going to be your turn to speak. 
What is that referring to? Say more. Not just not just Shakyamuni, but um, everyone. The great, the mind of the great yes. sage of India, right? So the great sage of India is referring to Shakyamuni Buddha, right? Yes. Historically, mm-hmm. but is that what this is referring to? Okay. So there is the historical context, right? There is that, but this is beyond the historical context. Okay, so what is it referring to? How do we understand that? Maybe what, what he was trying to convey, what he was trying to expor, express and explain to everyone. What was he trying to convey? Right. Yeah. Conveyed from, mm-hmm. well, intimately conveyed, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, so the word conveyed is essential. Intimately conveyed. The, this mind of the great sage of India was intimately conveyed. To us. I mean, it's, yeah, we're talking about us. We're talking about now. We're talking about how we understand that. So it has been conveyed to us. Or we, actually, by chanting it over and over again, reignite that. Right? So what is being conveyed to us? The all-encompassing mind, the mind that does not divide, the mind that is essentially unity. Right? There, there are no divisions. That mind was conveyed, but what we do with what is conveyed, we create divisions. And then we think, well, it is divided. Because there are some who believe that, you know, it's gradual, for example, right? And there are some who believe that it takes, it's gradual, and there are some who believe that it doesn't take that kind of uh, process, and it's immediate, it's sudden, in terms of realization, but all divisions. The opinion is actually secondary. In this case, it was about that, but he wasn't, uh, it's not limited to that, put it this way. So what is the mind of the great sage of India right now? How do we understand that? How do you understand that? (laughs) Um, Non-dwelling. Non-dwelling. Very flexible. Good. Non-dwelling. Not fixed. Able to shift very quickly. Right. Not limited to this moment, that moment, this form, that form, this appearance, that appearance. Yes. Constantly shifting, moving, changing, adapting, blending, harmonizing. Very confident. Beyond. That too. Yes. Right? Because if it's confident, well, there is that which is not always confident, but it includes this and that because it has no dualities, right? You know, we, we spend time with the Vimalakirti Sutra 
speaking about uh, studying dualities or non-dualities, right? how we divide and essentially there are no dualities. This is very connected to what the Vimalakita Sutra is, is raising. Right? No divisions, no duality, yes. So in constant flux, right? Therefore, all-encompassing. Therefore, no divisions. Because if it doesn't rest for a split second, how do we divide? Right? Because when we, de- we, say, we, when we, when we hold on to an opinion of it's this way and then somebody holds on to opinions that way, both are fixed. Right? Even sudden and, actually, and gradual. It is gradual and it is sudden. You can't say it's just gradual or it's just sudden. Because it is gradual, because there is a process, but then when there is recognition, it is sudden. So, do we need to hold on to views? Yeah. I feel like when I chant this every time, I, I, I have this vision of Shankimani holding up the flower. Mm-hmm. That's how, that's how it is conveyed, right? It's conveyed as is. It's conveyed as recognition. So if you look at, you know, from that time, from the life of the time of the Buddha, right, up to now, we are a continuation of that being conveyed. But we have to live up to that. This is why it's so important that we understand how to work with the practice, right? Because we, we have a responsibility to live up to that. It's a big responsibility, right? And essential in our time. Right? So, so historically speaking, this was, um, um, Shitu was uh, the grandson in the Dharma of, the, of Hongren, the, the fifth patriarch, and uh, you remember uh, Huineng, right? Huineng was uh, the sixth patriarch, right? So Huineng was the one who traveled to the south and supposedly established the, the southern school. And uh, there were two poems, uh, we, we're not going to get into it now, but there were two poems that were written in order to uh, see who was going to succeed the, the uh, fifth patriarch. And Huineng wrote one poem and uh, the head monk, who everybody thought will become the successor, wrote the other poem. And uh, the story, as the story goes, Hongren uh, brought uh, um, the sixth patriarch, uh, Huineng, into his room at midnight, uh, gave him the, the robe and bowl, and told him, run away and hide for 15 years because the other monks are not going to like that. So that's going to create the Inu. There are going to be divisions either way and arguments and all kinds of conflicts. So he told him to hide for 15 years. He went into hiding for 15 years. He came out and he started teaching Zen. And then Shenzhui went, he, apparently he was also uh, a successor. Um, and he went to establish the, the other school. So that's, so, so uh, this was a result of, of all that happening. Okay, so 
while human beings can be wise or foolish, the way has no north and no southern ancestors. How do we feel about that? While human beings can be wise or foolish. So, how do we so just take this line and, and relate it to our lives now? Right? We look around, we see wisdom, we see foolishness manifested, right? Or manifesting. We see both. Human beings have capacities to be wise and to be foolish. While this is happening, the way has no northern or southern or is not limited to the wise or the foolish. So, how do you see that? Just for a couple of minutes. The way has no dichotomy. The way has no dichotomy. Right. Dualities, oppositions. Does it help us? When we get upset about colossal foolishness, <laughs> to say it gently, <laughs> right, or mildly, how does it help to know that it's all encompassing? But to not set myself up against someone I regard, I regard as foolish in my thinking mind to not buy into that. So the great way is all-encompassing, meaning it includes everybody, mm-hmm. does all things at all times. Realizing that actually does help um, acceptance of what's happening. And also that I don't know the ultimate resolution will be to all of it, of foolishness and wisdom. I don't know what the ultimate resolution is going to be, and therefore I shouldn't judge the ultimate resolution right. as being right. now here. I don't know that this should not be this way. Exactly. And I don't know that this will not create incredible things. Yeah. I don't know that. Right. But it's so Does easy. that help? It's so Just to know that this may bring about incredible transformation. This, whatever this is, without even, you know, calling it anything. What I don't like may bring about incredible transformation. That reminds me of the documentary we saw, the dung beetle. <laughs> the little dung yeah, beetle, and he's, yeah. he's rolling this piece of dung all the way up to the sun, yeah. so the seed will come out of it. Right. But we don't know what's inside of it right yeah it's just true because we don't know right but it but it includes it includes that too it includes what we like it includes what we don't like yeah. it includes the wise and the foolish it's all in that yeah yeah I, I think that not knowing is very important um, because you know the the great mind, the way, the flow, it's happening. Whether we like it or not, it's, it's happening, it's unfolding, it's transpiring. So in, in that place of not knowing, the only thing that we have is how we 
engage with that and express it in our own lives. Um, yeah, how do we express it? How do we work with that, right? And the point in, of, of chanting over and over again is that it starts to, hopefully it starts to dissolve the rigidity of our being, right? So we don't, uh, we open up the hand a little bit, right? And a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But this is why, you know, uh, I, I have to tell you, you know, when, when I got into Zen more and more, you know, chanting was not my thing. <laughs> I can't say I was like, oh, great, we're going to chant. But, you know, with time and practice, I actually learned to not just appreciate it, but to see how powerful it is. So, so not just tolerate it, but, but to actually see that this, this is incredible power that, uh, you know, we, we've inherited something that has great potential, right, if we use it well. Because, like, you know, we can chant, okay, I'm like, okay, chant again. No, it's what we do. We have to get through that so we can get to the next thing that I prefer. Right? Maybe sitting, I prefer to sit. I don't need all the extra stuff, and I see it as extra. But it's not extra. It's just another way to uh, interact with the Dharma. Initiate the Dharma, right? That's all it is. So, yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting what you say. You know, the eye is is limited by that by which the eye can see is not limited. The eye is limited, right? The eye can see what the eye can see. There is that, but that by which the eye can see is all encompassing. So it's not limited to what I'm seeing or the way I'm seeing what I'm seeing. And that's where it gets tricky, because we live and die by what we see, what we think, what we hear, what we touch, what we taste. And that's also saying, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Right. <laughs> it's not that. There's a lot of things that are not there that we don't, that we don't see. Yeah. There's a lot that we don't see and don't know, yes. No, what you just said was from the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. It is, yeah. 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 Not, which, not that which this world adorns. Know that to be one That one by thing. which. Yeah. Right. And not that which this world adorns. Yeah, it is, it is. It's but, but you can take this and you, you can, can it, use it because it's in different ways. Yeah. So, the, I'm going to keep going. The soul shines clear and bright. The branching streams flow through the darkness to be attached to things illusion. To encounter the Absolute is not yet enlightenment. So I'm just going to quote a few words from uh, Shohaku Okumura, uh, Living by Vow. He says, In Shito's time, uh, Buddhism was separated into schools that argued about basic issues like the nature of enlightenment and the best method to practice. So hence, sudden versus gradual. Uh, Shito's response was to describe the mind of the great sage of India. 
he wasn't talking about psychology, but rather about the reality of life that includes both the absolute and phenomenal aspects in terms of the relation between the self and other things as objects. Right? So he's saying the same thing we just raised, but in different language, different words. Right? So it is all-encompassing, and it includes absolute, relative, or however we think about those things. Right? So the source, Buddha nature, oneness, divine, whatever we call it, manifests everywhere. Right? It is the ultimate reality. Things as they are. And the branch extremes actually refers to multiplicity, to the many, to the appearances, how things appear. And darkness refers to oneness. So the branching streams flow through the darkness. So all appearances, all differentiation flows through, constantly flows through unity. Actually inseparable from what gives life to uh, the differentiation or different manifestations is unity. So what gives life to us saying, I believe in this and not in that, and I, I, I know and the other one does not know, is that which includes the one I think I want to exclude. So does that make sense? So if I exclude something or someone, then I am not seeing, I don't realize that that which allows me to say that is uniting that which I'm trying to cut off. Before I say the words, when I say the words, after I say the words. There's no discussion about unity. It's not in question. Because the branching streams flow through the darkness. So there's also a quote from uh, Nagarjuna. This is from Okamula again. It's Nagarjuna, um, third century uh, Buddhist scholar, which we also chant the name, right? He was easy in the lineage. Uh, he said, without relying on everyday common practices, uh, relative truth, the absolute truth cannot be expressed. Without approaching, approaching the absolute truth, nirvana cannot be attained. So this is the doorway. So what we see as differentiation is the doorway to what we perceive or we think is nirvana or oneness or because the branching streams flow through the darkness. Because one has many kinds. Because the only way to experience Nothing is through something. Right? There's no way around that. We see it as two, but it's not two. Every sensation and realm of consciousness intermingle even as they shine alone, interacting even as they merge, yet keeping their places in expressions of their own. So, where are you at with this? Every sensation and realm of consciousness intermingle even as they shine alone. Interacting even as they merge. What is it saying? Interdependence. Different um, differentiation. 
Education and um, What do you mean by the way we look, the way we appear, the way we manifest individually? What's there? That differentiation, that, that form is there. Yet? Formlessness intermingled with form. Intermingled even as they shine alone. <clears throat> so even as there is the uniqueness of each person, uniqueness of each person, and it's perfectly fine, because the one manifests in many ways, in many unique ways. Right? But even through that uniqueness, that one is still there. Right? There's no homogenizing. There's no clumping it together and trying to look the same or sound the same. The one is expressed in And the individual things collectively are the one. Because the one has to be expressed through phenomena of some sort. That's another thing that Gaudian actually said, that the only way for, right, for formlessness to, to, to manifest is through form. Otherwise, it, it cannot manifest. It doesn't go anywhere. It just cannot manifest. Right? So, so let's say that we destroy this planet and nothing is left, right? And, well, this is, that particular way of manifesting is gone, but that which is, which we manifest now and we may not manifest anymore, is not going anywhere, because it's not coming from anywhere, because it is no beginning and end. Right? Go ahead. So how do we take that step? <laughs> practice, practice, practice. That's good. That's always a good answer. <laughs> no matter what the question is, right? That's <laughs> good. So everything, every sensation realm of consciousness intermingle even as they shine a lot, interacting even as they merge, yet keeping their places in expression of their own. Right? So there's no need to there's no need to try to change that, right? Or to think, or to see the expression as false or wrong or not authentic or not it. Right? But it doesn't mean there's no work on how we express. That's constant. But all expressions come from the same source. The ones we 
we embrace and the ones we try to push away. Sights vary in quality and form, sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. The dark makes all words one, the brightness distinguishes good and bad phrases. Right? So sights vary in quality and form. Now, sounds differ as, as pleasing or harsh, right? So obviously, again, this is very timely, right? You hear something, you read something, and it sounds absolutely harsh and maybe obnoxious, and we think, how is it possible? How is it possible, right, that someone will speak this way or act this way? Which means that, right, sounds different as pleasing or harsh. The dog makes all words one. The branching streams flow through the darkness, so all these sights and sounds actually flow through the one thing. Right, so the analogy of darkness, when, all, uh, when the lights are turned off completely and pitch black, all the stuff that you know, maybe we're bothered by because it doesn't look the way we think it should, be, it should look like, all of a sudden it loses its boundaries. We don't see it anymore. Or it's united with all other things because the darkness unites. There's also, snow is another way to uh, refer to that. You, know, you can see appearances when, when we have... Uh, eight inches of snow, as we may have tomorrow morning, <laughs> then all appearances, you know, your car, you look outside, doesn't look the same anymore, right? It looks like it's united with the driveway and the trees. <laughs> One big blanket that connects all things. It's another way, it's another analogy to, to see that, yes, things are. And then the brightness distinguishes good and bad phrases goes back to that. Yes, there is such a thing. But all those differentiate, all these differences ultimately are one. So the four elements return to their nature as a child turns to its mother. Fire is hot, wind moved, water is wet, earth hot, eyes see, ears hear, no smell, tongue taste, each is independent of the other like leaves that come from the same root. And though leaves and roots return to the source, both roots and leaves have their own purposes. So, wind moves, water is wet, earth is hot. I see, ears hear. What is that in reference to? Everything has a function. Right, but in terms of uh, liturgy. It is shedding light on something that we may be perplexed about. Right? <laughs> Isn't it our senses? No, no, we chant. What's the chant before this one? <laughs> the Hatsutra. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. And this one says the opposite. Because the Because while there is no because there is no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, there is eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. We just did that. Yeah. That's <laughs> why she's smiling. But <laughs> we just worked on that in Dokusan. But anyway, the, because it is not, it is. Because I am not here, I'm here. 
Because it is not, it is. And that's the, in a way, the, the, the missing link for us. You know, we only see the, the appearance, but we don't see that the appearance is there because of no appearance. Because all manifestations flow through the same darkness. If it wasn't for that, then there won't be an appearance. Right? I don't see the because. I see an end. Okay. Because there is a hand, there is a thumb. If there's no hand, there's no thumb. Right? So if I may say, this is not a thumb. But I'm going to call it a thumb just so we can connect and, and make sense in the, in the conversation. But it's not a thumb. Because it's not a thumb, it's a thumb. Because there is no thumb, I can call it a thumb. Right? Because if there's no hand, there's no thumb. So if I'm not here, you're not here. Right? Interdependence of all things. All things core arise. Does that help? I've been stuck on this for years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just the fact of it. <laughs> so I could pretend. No, 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 you can, uh, I mean, it's I fine, mean, you can walk on yes, that. Yes, I understand it in terms of the hand. Right, okay, well, what about in terms of the body? You know, this is an ear because it's the one body. If, there's no, if this is not, if this is the one body, right? <laughs> I pointed the ear, but it's not an ear. It's the one body, it's the one body, it's the one body, it's the one body. It's the one body, it's the one, right? Yeah, whatever you see, whatever you encounter, is the one body, which manifests as the one who thinks is stuck. Right? I mean, simple as that. It's really the one who thinks is stuck is the one body. The one who, who thinks is flowing is also the one body. <laughs> and actually, the, the, the interesting thing is that the one who thinks it's stuck sometimes think, thinks it's flowing. That's would true. you agree? Yeah. Well, Even you, I would agree. I, that's it. Yeah. Good. Because, you know, it has many kinds. It's not fixed. Right. There you go. It's not fixed. Mm -hmm. It's not fixed in terms of uh, expression or experience. Mm -hmm. If I feel stuck, I feel stuck. I'm not stuck, but I feel stuck. Mm. You can say that. Yeah, I can say that. Okay, good. So... Um, so I'm going to quote for just one, one paragraph from Okumula. <clears throat> he said, The four gross elements are fire, wind, water, and earth. Here, these four words refer to not to the literal elements, but to the elements of our lives. For example, fire represents body heat. Wind symbolizes breathing and moving. Water denotes blood, tears, or other bodily liquids, fluids. Uh, and earth suggests bones, nails, hair, and other solids. So in addition to this, uh, four Mahayana, to this four, Mahayana Buddhism considers ku, which, is, which means emptiness or space, and he refers to it here as the fifth gross element. In Chinese, space and emptiness are represented by the same character, which means sky or ku. 
Everything occupies space, so space is, in a sense, another element. It's an essential element because it's the element that allows all other elements to, to function, to, to express themselves, to, to be. Right? So it's, a, it's an open way to see that, actually. And then he also said, um, it is often said that Zen Buddhism is a mixture of Indian Buddhism and Chinese philosophy, in this case, Taoism. The idea that individual beings uh, spring from oneness is a typically Taoist way of thinking. Lao Tzu said, return is the movement of the Tao. Yielding is the way of the Tao. All things are born of being. Being is born of non-being. The Tao is nowhere to be found, yet it nourishes and, com- and completes all things. The Tao gives birth to the one. One gives birth to two. Two gives birth to three. Three gives birth to all things. This means that the myriad independent things flow from oneness. This oneness, in turn, derives from the Tao of nothingness, or Mu. Ultimately, both difference and unity return to the source, which is nothingness. It's a very clear way of, of, uh, of stating that. It also connects... It sheds light on the connection, connections uh, between what we call Zen and what Taoism, in terms of practice. So, within light there is darkness, but do not take it as darkness. Within darkness there is light, but do not see it as light. Light and darkness are paired, like the foot before and the foot behind in walking. Each thing has its own intrinsic value expressed according to function and place. Ordinary life fits the absolute as a box and its lead. Pratitya samutpada, right? Interdependent origination. All things are, all things co-arise, co-dependent. So, what do you see in that? For just for a couple of minutes. Within light there is darkness, but do not take it as darkness. Now, light and darkness, as we just talked about before, right? So, form and emptiness. Right? So, within light there is darkness, but do not take it as darkness. Within darkness there is light, but do not see it as light. What does that mean for us? Okay, let, me, I'm gonna, let Okamura say something. <laughs> Maybe that will help. He says, light and darkness are always together. We cannot understand our life through only one aspect. We often see darkness, unity, or non-discrimination as enlightenment and discrimination as delusion. From this perspective, enlightenment means to give up light, differentiation, and discrimination, and to live in the, in the realm of non-discrimination. Shita conveys here a more complex understanding In the phrase light and dark, light refers to samsara and dark to nirvana or non-discrimination. Nirvana is within samsara, which is within nirvana. We cannot make this life all nirvana or all samsara because samsara and nirvana always exist together. Right in samsara, there is nirvana. Very clear. Samsara is nirvana. 
It's one of those things we don't like to hear, right? Because it negates our uh, original idea of I want to practice so I can free myself from what we call samsara. It's almost like we want to practice. The practice is so we can engage with the samsara. You know, like authentic engagement. Is that something? Mazini said that, or somebody said that. Well, so you're saying that we practice so we can learn to live in the mud without allowing the mud to stick to us. Yeah. Right? In a way, right? I mean, so, but we're not checking out of the mud. Right, because the mud is here. The mud is where everybody else is. Right. Where else will we go? Right. Right? I mean, this is, this is where we do the, the, the work of a bodhisattva. <laughs> right? We're in the mud. Also not judging the mud. I mean, so not saying not the mud. The mud is wrong. The mud is not where I need to be. Well, I, like oh, I, I want a different kind of mud. <laughs> no mud, no lotus. No mud, no lotus. Right. Yes. Right. I mean, in a way, that's a, that's another. There are many analogies. Right. There's an analogy because you know, if we if we reject the mud, we reject the flower. Yeah. If we reject the flower, we reject the mud. <laughs> yeah. But what you said is just, it's like we don't want to hear that, you know, Nirvana is not, you know, the full sphere. I find that actually, I mean, because it's like, it's literally, it's not even a step away. So, in another way, it's actually really, well, I, comforting is the word, but it's exciting or it's wonderful or, you know, everyone averted, but I mean, that's the other. You don't need to go anywhere. That's actually, it is the good news. It's just that when we set foot on the path, we have other expectations or other ideas. But then when we get deeply into it, we realize, wait a minute, this is it. I don't have to go anywhere or do anything else. It, this is it, as is, with what I like and what I don't like. So yes, it is the good news because it's because it's total acceptance, right? Because it's not there's nothing to reject. There's no need to reject anything. And also, there's no need to set oppositions or things as one opposing the other, as a preferred and rejected. So, in, you may remember Dongshan's five ranks: the relative within the absolute, the absolute within the relative. Right? Those are the first two. Then coming from the absolute, then the fourth one, arriving at mutual integration. And the fifth one is attain, unity attained. So it, this is progression of uh, practice or realization. Or, right? So to not, to understand that yes, there is this and there is that, but it doesn't mean we have to go anywhere else. Because light is within darkness, and darkness is within light. So the last part, the absolute meets the relative, like two arrows meeting in midair. Hearing this, you should grasp the great reality, do not judge by any standards. If you do not see the way, you do not see it, even as you walk on it. Right? And that, that's what happens, you know, we, we, we walk on it, we tread it, 
but we don't see it because we think it's somewhere else. We think it should look like something else or feel like something else. And this, is keep, this keeps pointing, or when we chant in a way that, uh, that paragraph, we keep pointing by, by our own chanting to the fact that this is it. It's exactly where we're, where we're at at any given moment. And we keep chanting that if we don't see that it is here, we are, as it says, who fails to see this is mountains and rivers away. If we don't see it, we create something and then we are detached from the understanding that this is it or the realization that this is it. And I respectfully say to those who wish to be enlightened, do not waste your time by night or day. And this is what the inner chance at the end of the day. Time swiftly passes by, opportunities lost, do not squander your life. So this is the same thing, right? We, we see that, right? And, and this is the beginning, absolute means relative like two arrows meeting in midair, is actually based on a story of two archers. One was the teacher, one was the student, two masters, right? And when the student felt that his skill has surpassed his teacher, he challenged the teacher to a duel. And then uh, they took aim at each other and shot. The two arrows met in midair and nobody got home, nobody got injured, and they fell down. And it's a description of the, the when we are at the point of understanding, right, or, or embodying uh, the understanding that the relative and the absolute always fit, always meet perfectly like a box and its lead, right? One cannot be without the other. So then at that moment or that split second, we recognize things as they are because we no longer separate. And we also no longer look for it elsewhere. Maybe that's more important. You know, so so to pr our practice is to actualize that merging of sameness and differences. Right? So th this is a, it's a profound, deep sutra, short chant, but profoundly deep and profoundly relevant to our lives. Whether we're here at the Zendo practicing together or out and about or working or doing what we do. This is what we have to breathe life into and live. It's a big task. So, any last words before we wrap it up? Well, it means everything, every situation is an opportunity to practice. Every moment, yes. pumping gas, going to the grocery store, just all the things that we do is an opportunity to practice the same way as coming here is an opportunity to practice. Yes, it's an opportunity to recognize two arrows meeting in midair. Yeah. See it that way, right? An opportunity to recognize that the two arrows are perfectly meeting in midair. Right now. Not later, but right now. I may not feel it or see it, but right now they perfectly match. The box and the lead perfectly work together. The foolish and the wise, actually. 
behind. Yeah. Okay, thank you.